Up next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. After this message. Most people don't realize that cannabis is serious business that requires serious technology solutions. Hi, I'm Terry from Sunstate Technology Group. We are seriously proud to provide technology and security systems that help cannabis companies compete and succeed. From planning and expansion to hardware and daily IT support, I'm here to tell you that having the right technology is critical to security and smooth business operations. Partner with a technology team that understands the unique needs of this industry. For details, visit sunstatetech.com cannabis. sunstatetech.com cannabis. And now, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm Snowden Bishop, and I'm thanking you for joining us today. They say that the best innovations are born from necessity, which explains why cannabis cultivators are so ahead of the curve when it comes to finding profitable ways to grow their crops with highly effective organic methods. Unlike other agricultural sectors, cannabis producers have been subjected to rigorous regulations and purity standards, particularly for growing medicinal cannabis varieties. In order to comply and avert undue scrutiny of regulators, growers have had to find sustainable, cost-effective ways to control their energy output, water consumption, moisture, and pests without contaminating their plants. Ironically, the organic cultivation techniques they've adopted out of necessity have proven to be more effective and more profitable than conventional methods. So, can the lessons learned by growers in the cannabis industry help other farmers to reduce their carbon footprint while also improving their yields and profits? Well, that's the topic of today's show and something our guest has answers for. So let's get started. I am excited to introduce Marco Heji, who has extensive executive leadership experience in the indoor agriculture and technology sectors. Having started his career as a software engineer, he has since managed global programs and initiatives at Microsoft and Yahoo. As an inventor, his innovations have been awarded multiple patents. Today, he's the CEO of GrowLife, which is a publicly traded company that provides cultivation tools and services for the cannabis industry. Marco, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate that you're joining me today. Thank you, Snowden. So I was really eager to talk to you. We've spoken before, but I've been looking forward to interviewing you for a long time because you're such an innovator in this industry. And before we really delve into the topic so much, I'd really like to hear in your perspective just a little bit about your company. Of course. So uh, Grow Life has been uh, around for a number of years, or about six, seven years. And it is a publicly traded company. Uh, but it has been around primarily to provide supplies and products for the hydroponic industry for indoor growers who, who cultivate uh, plants. And the most popular plants that, that our customers grow these days are the cannabis industry plants. And, um, and as we're talking today, one of the more popular ones that are growing 
uh, and, and that it's approved by the new farm bill is, is the hemp uh, plant. So we're very excited about that. And um, what we've done is we've uh, not only provide the, uh, the supplies, but we've decided to get more involved in how these supplies come together and start providing what we call solutions, a, a, a more of an aggregate, a, a unified uh, system so that the, the cost of growing gets lower and lower for our customers. One of the things that's sort of a phenomenon across the industry is the fact that with these large-scale production facilities, you're seeing the prices sort of drop to the point where independent growers are having a hard time competing with the price. And for those who don't really know about hydroponics, because it's it's not a household name, per se, for people who are not cultivating plants, explain how that is, because it's it's an interesting process because it's basically water-based with nutrients that go into the water that can feed a lot of different plants. And I know you have like a new vertical grow uh, hardware. I'm not a grower, so I don't really know what the vernacular is for this sort of equipment that you have. But it's a vertical-oriented grow, so you can have stacks of plants. Is that kind of correct? Or am I close? Allow me to uh, elaborate. So okay. hydroponics is, is, is more of a general term for, for growing uh, plants, primarily indoors. And it did start with uh, just uh, more of a, a water mist-based way of, of growing plants, but it expanded to uh, all sorts of different ways of growing indoors, which also includes soil and, and, and rock-based and it is the primary way of growing indoors. It's not just limited anymore to just water-based growing. So there is aquaponics and, and, and uh, the traditional uh, pot-based, um, you know, growing with soil in a pot. Um, but we provide about 12,000 different products that different manufacturers uh, make, and we sell that into the industry. And the industry, as I mentioned, consists of, different companies that, that grow indoors. But as you were pointing out, uh, there are so many of these large cultivators now that are growing cannabis across North America and, and a lot of places around the world that um, there is a lot of pressure for the smaller growers to, to keep up. And what we do is we, we continue to sell these different products, but because these products are made by independent manufacturers, each manufacturer is driving down their individual costs, but not looking at the holistic uh, or system or the complete cost of nutrients and soil and the pots themselves and lighting. There, there's so many components involved in growing. So the idea of, say, growing uh, cannabis or hemp by simply dropping seeds into the ground is, is not is not realistic or is not the way um, it, it is grown today. Indoor growing, for example, uses much more sophisticated techniques. And uh, in fact, seed growing is not very commonly used. It's, it's using uh, clones. And clones are where you have clippings from what's called a mother plant. And I'm probably getting more detail than, than you want to go into. But the idea is we provide all the products that are necessary 
and our latest innovation is, as you were saying, uh, providing more plants in per square foot by going vertical and using uh, proprietary lights that we manufacture ourselves and providing our own watering system and nutrient feed system. And by doing our own system, we're able to, to drive the, co the cost down to such a nice low level that the production of every gram is significantly lower, about 70% lower than the traditional way of growing on a tabletop. So that's very exciting for us and very exciting for our customers. Does and that this, help? Yeah, absolutely. And this technology sort of applies for any kind of indoor agriculture operation as well. I mean, I've, I've read a lot about some of the vertical farms that are going up in China, for example, where the land is scarce in, in these sort of metropolitan areas, but people still need to farm in these areas. And so, I mean, this is sort of a, a, something that could translate to just about any kind of food production facility. Isn't that right? Exactly. In fact, it's it's not just limited to to uh, tight real estate, but all sorts of resources. In the case of as you were mentioning earlier, uh, hydroponics. It hydroponics as a, as a growing technique uses not what is it uh, less than five percent of the water that's used in traditional growing. So, if you imagine that you're growing outside and you're watering your your garden. Most of that water is just going right through the ground and back into the water base. Well, in, in a hydroponic or an indoor grow operation, you're able to reclaim that water and, and reuse it. And it, it ends up improving the yield and the, the resource management so that uh, your water, your soil, your electricity, your, your manpower, is, is consolidated and you're able to, to get by with less and produce more. And that's exciting because that's not only how you lower uh, your costs, but also reduce your waste in general. Well, yeah, and a lot of the time with agricultural water waste, it, it really, if it does seep down into the groundwater or into the aquifers below, it's laden with chemicals that are used in agriculture as well. And this sort of prevents that need for the chemical fertilizers or pesticides because you can control the environment a lot more. Am I right about that? As a yes, uh, more than right. I mean, as a matter of fact, that's, that's something I didn't touch on. But um, when you grow indoors versus outdoor, you, you take control of the environment. So the good news is uh, the soil and the the lighting and and the um, pe uh, pesticides and and the the pests themselves are under your control. The, the 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 bad news is you have to replicate nature, which is costly. So a lot of these indoor farms, like the ones you mentioned earlier, large food farms, have a hard time uh, making money and surviving because they're typically working with a a low cost or low priced crop. Cannabis, on the other hand, is a high-value crop. And when you start off with a high-value crop, you can afford to invest and build technologies and innovate and then take that technology, just like any other technology, mobile phones or uh, personal computers, and as you grow to scale, you're able to introduce those kind of technologies into uh, lower-priced, lower-level lower, lower uh, uh, levels of, of 
of markets that normally could not afford to fund those. So our intention is to take this from a high value crop into a low level crop or low cost crop like food and, and services uh, in, in the future. So as we, we take this new technology and tune it, dial it in and make sure that we continue to drive the cost down and get to scale, we'll start introducing it to these other vertical farms. And that's where they're having the problem right now. They're trying to make money off of lettuce, for example. Well, you can imagine the revenue on a, on a head of lettuce is nowhere near the revenue you can get on a plant of cannabis. So it's, it's a challenge for the food um, growers, if you will, to, to make the money that they're trying to make from indoor growing. Even though their intentions are, are, are solid and the efficiencies they're trying to bring are solid, they're just not, they're very expensive uh, propositions. They're not quite there. That's really interesting. And I'm sure that you read or heard about the exhaustive research and the, the very detailed report that came back on climate change and some of the dangers that we face. And one of the things that I think is really important about this style of agriculture is that we have to do everything in our power to limit the damage that we're causing. And food production, including the food production in livestock especially, but also just in the GMO crops, and there's so much damage that's being done right now that if we can minimize that, and the cannabis industry is poised in this incredible position to set an example for the rest of agriculture. And so I think that the technology that you're talking about and what you're doing with your company, it really is a way to set an example for other agricultural producers to follow. And that's one of the one of the things that I just thought was so interesting as I was reading about your company and when we first spoke a couple of years ago, I was just enthralled with your philosophy on this. So kudos for what you're doing, but I think that it is instructive for the rest of agriculture. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. You know, what I was surprised to read about was how many of these indoor food farms have actually gone out of business and, and they, they ended up going bankrupt because it wasn't so much that there wasn't demand for uh, healthy uh, food. I mean, they were able to, to meet the price points, but their cost of production was way too high. So we looked at, at, at Grow Life, we looked at the cost of production. And, and I think it was, a, I think it was an article in the LA Times or uh, somewhere where it was breaking it all down. And I was shocked to see that as, as the price of, of, of cannabis was declining and the food crop was still low, um, we couldn't just take the current production models of, of, of cannabis, which was burning up a ton of electricity, and apply them to food and, and use the indoor grow models. We had to come up with a much smarter way to do it. And, and we had already, I, I don't know if you know, but Grow Life started with LED lighting. The original uh, uh, basis of the company was LED lights. And it was a, it was a tough business to get going. And uh, it just didn't quite pan out. And we went back to our roots and said, okay, what went wrong here? We also looked into, did deep research into 
container farming, which a lot of companies have tried to repurpose these shipping cargo containers and found out that what they ended up doing is they had turned them into ovens and they were they were burning up the, the, the crop. So we kept looking at what went wrong when everybody started off with really well-intentioned models, but were failing. And we just looked at it and said, okay, these are the new objectives. And they were basically the mirrors of everything that went wrong with these prior models. And we just happened to have a good team of people who kept working and they were diligent and came back with some pretty innovative ways of solving it. We went back to LEDs, which are very low, low power. So we stopped using electricity. I know uh, you probably know, but uh, you know, half of our electricity that's produced in the United States comes from coal. So being reliant on electricity is not a good thing. So reducing the, the, the utilization of electricity was, was critical for us. Then we went to um, reducing heat. Then we looked at how do we produce more with the same labor amount. We didn't want to you know, necessarily lower the labor count, but we wanted to, to, to get more from the same amount of people. So, you know, we, we took each problem, we broke it down, and we were able to build a system. We, we call it a cube. It's an eight foot by eight foot by eight foot um, box. And we controlled every cubic foot inside there and said, how do we produce the most amount of vegetation, of plant, and make it as healthy as possible? So we, we maximize the yield and make sure the calculations show that it's the lowest cost. And we felt that if we can do this for cannabis, then someday we may be able to do this for fruits and vegetables. And we can maybe take this to where um, the people who tried indoor farming have failed. So that's our ultimate goal. I mean, we see, we see the cannabis industry as, as an important step, but it's, it's a stair step towards, I think, the ultimate um, goal, which is, uh, like you said, utilizing the resources we have to feed the planet. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that you mentioned is very important for people to keep in mind. When the Colorado, the adult use law was first passed and, and they opened up swaths of Denver for grow houses, I know they had a huge problem with the load on their grid, on their electrical grid, just to power these things. And these, these producers were paying thousands of dollars each month in electric bills, but that was only part of the problem. The other part of the problem was, how are they going to produce enough energy for these industrial areas that were now, they had you know thousands and thousands of watts of lights going at all times for these grow operations. And they had to really figure out infrastructure-wise how they were going to address this problem. And LED lighting was actually a really great idea to start introducing that because it does draw a lot less from the grid. But also you have these climate HVAC systems and they're very energy consumptive. So this industry that had the promise of being one of the most sustainable emerging industries on the planet turned out to be one of the dirtiest industries until they could try to figure this out. But it seems counterintuitive, though. LED lighting, 
the light emitting diodes for those who don't know what LED really stands for. It seems as though it would be impossible for that to actually mimic the light of the sun for photosynthesis of a plant. Can you explain how that's possible? Yes. So um, actually, it's a, it's a very insightful question. Without getting too technical, um, there's actually three factors to it. There's 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 the glow, of course, um, and there's a rain. There's so so the light itself um, uh, creates the photosynthesis effect. Um, then there's there's the part you don't see, which is the spectrum. Um, because there are different spectrums of light that have different influences on the plant at different stages of the plant. And that's the part that, that most people even don't understand and don't see uh, or take for granted. And you don't see it from the sun, but it's, it's occurring all the time. And then the fun part, which is why we have these problems with these, these lights, is that there's heat that comes in that, that helps the plant. And we did these tests and I have to tell you, just, it just made my, it drove me crazy because the, our first test with the new cube, we thought, okay, we're going to minimize how much power we use. And we went with LEDs and we didn't use that many. And we thought, okay, we're going to get enough spectrum in there. And the plants didn't grow very well. We didn't get that much yield. And we kept looking at it. And one of the more super experienced growers, he goes, you didn't have enough heat. I go, what? And, and the other guys go, oh, of course. We weren't generating enough heat because we were so concerned about not having the cube create too much heat so we didn't have to have the air conditioners running and not creating enough an effect that we overcompensated on, on the heat side and we, we had dialed it too far down. So um, uh, what we ended up doing is the second test, we found the balance of spectrum uh, light itself, and of course, uh, the heat that was necessary by adding more LEDs. So, so the lighting was was a critical factor. And then, just to interject, um, we learned in that, that after that first test that the clone and how you clone was the direct effect to how big the plant would be at the end, which was the the yield, how much you produced. And that's what made us decide on the Easy Clone acquisition. We bought a 51% interest in a company called Easy Clone, who has 20 years experience as one of the most sophisticated uh, cloning device companies out there. And we said, oh my gosh, we gotta get into this company. We've, we've had discussions going on. We thought, oh, this is a good company to acquire. But once we knew that that was gonna be the key to the success of you know, the Cube system, we went out there, and over a weekend, I was able to uh, work out a deal with the, the founder, and it was just—it was just a wonderful deal. So I'm sorry, I'm I'm going on and on because this is such an exciting topic for us, but. Um, yeah, that's how the LED lights come together. Well, I'm actually, I love to hear you talk about these things because you are so passionate about it. But the Easy Clone, that actually is one sector of the industry that a lot of people aren't aware if they're not in the industry, is a great way for people who who want to start getting into the industry or they want to transition from one form of agriculture into the cannabis market. What I've heard is that cloning, you know, starting a clone operation is actually one of the best ways to gain a profit because 
it's easier for people to buy clones and plant those than to go from seed to plant. Am I right about that? Or is that uh, because it it just seems that that is such a a wide open portion of the market for people who want to get into it and don't have a lot of space too. It, it, It is easier if you, if you know a bit about what you're doing and it's easier because if you focus on the quality of the clone, then your customers who are the, the more larger cultivators who are growing larger plants and, and say selling to, to producers or to, to the retailers, uh, their product, um, they can handle that part of the business and, and, and the cloners can concentrate their skills on, on cloning themselves. In particular, Canada, for example, has a tremendous cloning business right now. And I think the, the, the revenue for cloning for a clone is almost, uh, I think, about five times what it is in the U.S. So it's, it's a tremendous opportunity. And, um, and EasyClone has manufactured these cloning systems. These um, Think of them as boxes where you can put clippings off of, off of a, what's called a mother plant a very large uh, plant, and then you put these what look like little, just clipped uh, little, uh, I'm going to call them sticks, but you put them in there, and within a few weeks, you have the richest, most, I think they're beautiful, translucent root systems you can imagine. I mean, I, I love looking at them. They're, they're these white, tenderly things that, that are produced at the bottom, and then you transplant those into the soil or into a hydroponic environment. And it's it's magnificent. I mean, that to me is how how you you grow a tremendous crop. And anytime you look up easy clone, uh, letter E and Z, and then clone, you get to see these pictures, and they're of everything, every kind of vegetable or fruit, and um, they're just wonderfully done. So um, if you know what you're doing, though, because what you don't want to do is is propagate, for example males in, in, in the cannabis industry because it creates all sorts of, of problems in terms of what your end product would be. So you, you do have to have a good understanding of, of growing your product before you, you get into that business. But cloning is, is, is I think, a, a more controlled way of, of producing a, a high-value crop. You raised something that I have never spoken about on this show, and I've been curious about it and just haven't had the opportunity to talk about it yet. And that is the fact that cannabis is, it has sexes. (laughs) You've got your male plants, you've got your female plants. And for those who don't know much about cannabis, explain what that means exactly. Yeah, there's a third one, by the way. (laughs) A hermaphrodite? (laughs) Well, they they can change genders on you, and you have to be careful. Wow. So okay. there, it, it, there's a trickiness to it, but that's that's much more technical than we want to get into on the show. But I know that the female plants are more desirable in terms of uh, developing your product. I believe the way it works. This is where I I, I know that the the more sophisticated listeners will point out that I'll say something wrong, but you want flowers. You want the richest flowers, and when you introduce males, you start getting seeds. And you minimize the flower and the quality of the flower. Okay, that's something I didn't know. So that's why you don't really want males. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, that's a very simple, succinct way to put it, and that's exactly what I was I was hoping for because. And um, I, I have a daughter, and I couldn't agree more. <laughs> you really don't want males. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, 
You know what? As much as I do know about the cannabis industry and about cannabis, I know very little about the hands-on plant. And I leave that to the experts to try to explain. I, I really don't know as much about it as I probably should. And one day I will educate myself on that. But, you know, I, I, there are so many facets of this industry that every day I learn something new. And I can't imagine how much knowledge must be in your brain because you have been doing this for so long now. I mean, if I recall correctly, didn't Grow Life start back in 2010, something like that? I believe it's, it's uh, 2012 as when it, it turned into a public entity and it was formed by uh, a merger of two companies. Um, so uh, there was a lot of knowledge. I joined uh, in 2013 and my background is technology, and I'm not from the industry itself. That's why right. I hesitate going into detail. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Well, I know because you worked for Yahoo yeah. um, and, and, Microsoft, yeah. and Microsoft. So you were in software development, is that correct? I started in software development a long time ago, like 30-some-odd okay. years ago. So yeah. let me ask you this. How did you decide to get into the cannabis industry? <laughs> okay. Well, uh, <laughs> after software, there was uh, uh, some time when I went into, I was in business and I ran several companies and ultimately a number of investors approached me and told me about Grow Life. And I did a thorough look into Grow Life and where the industry was going. And I felt that there were a lot of good opportunities. I'm a big fan of the medicinal side of, of cannabis. I think that there's a lot of opportunity, but more importantly, a lot of benefit that can be had uh, that hasn't been. And it's a rare opportunity. It doesn't happen very often. So I thought it'd be a good thing for me to look into. I wasn't planning on being here more than three years and it's been five years and I've just extended my contract another three years. So I'm very excited to be here. It's 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 full of great people, and um, I'm doing exactly what I love to do, which is help build industries. And I think that the cannabis industry has opportunity that in our generation is bigger than any other emerging industry that we've seen. I mean, not since the early tech boom have we seen this kind of growth in an industry and this kind of rapid innovation, but also, the fact that this industry is so transformative on so many levels, you've got, you know, in the hemp industry alone, and that's something I'd love to discuss with you as well, but in the hemp industry, there are so many opportunities once we start to build an infrastructure for utilizing the hemp plant. We could use hemp to transition off of fossil fuels altogether. And on the medicinal side, you've got these transformative discoveries and the ways in which cannabis can transform the medical industry is just limitless. It's it's crazy. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned earlier the hemp bill that was just signed. And I think that's a monumental step forward in terms of what we will be able to see the industry grow into here in the near future. What are your thoughts about that? I, I 
I completely agree. Um, just to clarify, though, uh, so the hemp industry is still, with the right word, um, controlled by a lot of compliance controls that are very similar to the cannabis industry. So um, even though um, the Farm Bill was approved, there are a lot of uh, restrictions, which um, are arguably good and bad, but it makes um, CBD as well as hemp uh, very available. Uh, they just have to be compliant. So there aren't um, like free hemp farmers that anybody can just go out there and just uh, become a hemp farmer. They have to go through state-based compliance uh, policies. Uh, but at least the federal government has seen some benefit. Uh, for grow life, though, I have to say, um, this was a tremendous opportunity that we were fortunate to, to find with, with the cloning business that we just acquired. So it turns out that we had been in conversations with many hemp farmers before the, the the bill was passed, and these were were licensed hemp farmers. And as soon as it was passed, we started to get demand from these hemp farmers for um, hundreds of thousands of clones. Wow! And we were we were stunned. We said, "Wait, wait, wait! What? We can't grow it fast enough. So we have to jumpstart this. So we need to grow." or get at somewhere in the neighborhood of 500,000 plus clones every month just just to get this industry jump started so when when the day comes whenever um, the cannabis does get legalized i think there's going to be a tremendous boom but right now what we're dealing with is the farm bill and just that alone is is transformative I think, you know, the way you were describing it is exactly that. We have an opportunity to tap something like CBD at a very large scale. We have an opportunity to go into the hemp, um, re-enter re the hemp industry, which was legal about, what, 100 years ago, and and see what other, other benefits there are just from a, a natural resource like hemp. So I'm excited to see what, what the farmers will come back with and, and what products will, will will be generated. So um, we're, we're going to do everything we can to support that kind of industry. So, but we see it very different. It's not, we don't see it the same as, as the cannabis industry. We don't see it as, as a THC based industry. And we see this as more of a, of a toe in the water. We don't see it as an indicator that the THC itself, because THC is a psychoactive, whereas hemp is not. So we don't see it being a parallel. This is, you know, hemp does not need a, a, um, the same, same level of, of adult controls that we, that we see in THC. Yeah. Well, and now states don't have any excuse to say you can't grow hemp. And that's what I think the biggest benefit of having the bill passed. Whereas, you know, and I understand they do have their, the restrictions because basically the farm bill is giving license to the states to go ahead and legalize hemp. But I was really excited that there was so much bipartisan support about this. And I think that hemp is one of those things that could bring two sides of Congress together, too, with innovations that can come from it. But, you know, something else, too, 
along the lines of, of what you were talking about, we're still not out of the weeds, if you will, um, with CBD because the FDA sent out a letter recently stating that CBD is still a Schedule One substance, even though hemp itself is being removed from Schedule One according to the Agricultural Improvement Act. But CBD, unfortunately, was not named along with tetrahydrocannabinols in that bill to remove it specifically from Schedule One. So I was thinking, you know, when I when I read this this notice that came out from the FDA, I was completely stunned. I couldn't believe it, and and I thought, what a huge oversight! Because I mean, most people want if they want to get into the hemp industry, it's because the money is really in CBD because the demand is so incredibly high. So the FDA sending out this notice says, okay, well you can grow hemp, but um, I'm sorry, but you can't use the CBD constituents out of it. <laughs> it it just seems crazy to me, but. Uh, we have a long way to go until this industry is completely liberated. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the over the next uh, year or so. And I know that there's a lot of support for liberating cannabis in general from the confines of, of the Controlled Substances Act. And I hope it happens this year, although I've been saying that every year, so it hasn't happened. <laughs> <laughs> it really is a shame, isn't it? But Yes. Yeah. Well, in time, they have to put controls in place, and there are a lot. It's a political football right now, so we'll see. Oh, absolutely a political football. Yeah, and there are a lot of special interests that really don't want this industry to open up in the way that people who are in it want to see it open up. And the demand is high, though, and I don't think that I don't think that politicians are going to be able to hold back much longer, you know, in favor of the special interests who are lobbying against it. And there are plenty of them. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, so what else is coming down the pike for you, Marco? Um, I think um, I think the company is excited about working with with um, with our growers uh, with this new technology for us. Um, just to, just to touch back on this this cube system, um, it brings software back into my life because um, once you start uh, growing with a system like this, we can collect a lot of information on on the process of growing, and we can help our growers maintain consistency. In fact, I was at a, at a lunch meeting today, and we were talking about you know, how do we help uh, the farmers uh, with with this information? And one of the things we were talking about was the commodities market and making sure that, uh, you know, if, if there's a big supply of, of soybean, for example, that's coming up, then you don't plant soybean. So if you see a, a big supply of a strain coming down, uh, you shouldn't have an interest in for producing that kind of strain. So we were talking about different ways of with these these cubes that have this information. How do we provide that to our customers? Uh, you know, as part of the relationship with the company. And um, so we see software and information as being a critical component that we'll be returning back to our customers. So um, we think that's a that's a key component. We think the cloning business is going to continue to grow. Uh, we think getting ahead of of um, 
challenges, like we were talking about earlier, of, of wasting resources is going to continue to be important. We see eco-friendly uh, is, is, a, is a continued mantra of this company. So making sure that we use the cleanest products so that there are no toxins in, in, in the products that we use. Um, uh, there, there are ways of making sure that the soil stays clean, nutrients stay clean. Um, there are some, some very inexpensive nutrients that are used out there that are frankly toxic. They, they, they wipe out the soil, and that soil is useless after that. They have so many salts, but they're so cheap. Um, there's just so many, so many areas of improvement that, that are needed out there. So um, there's nothing but opportunity. We, we, we're excited about the future. So um, we're having a good time. You know, that's interesting. I recently interviewed Nick Sandberg, who's from the Growers Network, and the reason that I mention it is that they're also collecting data, and it sounds a lot like the research that you're doing could be complementary to theirs. Is Grow Life a member? I'm not sure. What, what do you mean? Well, the Growers Network, it's a private membership platform, and they offer incredible resources for growers and members to connect with other professionals who could provide them with products and services that they need to succeed, which probably sounds familiar. It's part and parcel to the Grow Life mission. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's a vetted membership program, which means that there is an application process for new members. We were actually honored to be invited to join as a vetted media partner last year. And what I love the most is that they offer this forum where members can collaborate and find business opportunity and share resources and information with one another. And every few weeks, they actually choose a thought leader from the membership roster to host a live chat session that they call Ask Me Anything. And... Mm -hmm. I hosted it last month and found it to be a great way to connect with other members that I might not have had an opportunity to meet otherwise. It seems as though your knowledge would be put to really good use there, too. And I think that for Grow Life, belonging to the community would offer a great opportunity to explore some synergies and connect with other producers who could benefit from the products and services that you offer over there. But they have an amazing mentorship program also that supports up-and-coming growers. And there's the opportunity to mentor people who are coming up in this industry. And there's so much growth to be had. And I think that there's a lot of knowledge with producers who have been doing this for a long time that can be shared because it is such a new industry. And one of the things I thought is really interesting about it, too, is that there's sort of the spirit of coopetition as opposed to competition within the industry. And a lot of people are very willing to share the knowledge that they have because when, you know, one producer does well, the whole industry does well. And if one producer has safe, clean, sustainable practices, then it lifts the industry up. And so everybody wants to see, you know, the people who are in the same space creating an industry that's admired as opposed to one that gets criticism. And I talked about this recently in the interview with Nick Sandberg, which I mentioned earlier. So it's interesting. And I was just thinking about it because of what you were just saying. But I think that's a great goal. And I think it's something that I think everyone, every industry should aspire to. Absolutely, they should. I, 
every other industry, it seems that there's just such a dog eat dog and, you know, let's squeeze out as many profits as we can. And we don't need to tell the consumer that they're getting something that really is substandard because uh, we're not required to. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, with the cannabis industry, it seems from the inside out, people who are really trying to make this industry work are more concerned about how it is going to impact the consumer and more concerned about doing it the right way, Um, not only because they sort of have to because of the laws and they have to abide by certain restrictions that don't apply to other industries. And I like to analyze that because I think it is instructive for other industries. And I wish that our world were a little bit more like the cannabis industry (laughs) in that regard. But it's just, it's interesting to me. But (laughs) any thoughts on that? Probably too many. (laughs) And uh, this is probably not the forum for that. I, I, you know, it's it's very frustrating that, that many people know the right thing to do and many people don't do it. So it's not, it's, um, it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. And it, it, which is why people keep buying products from, nations that they shouldn't be but that's what that's what they do see you're gonna get me in trouble okay what else can i do for you (laughs) i know so go ahead and let's (laughs) well you know what it's all part of the big picture though and where i think the potential of the cannabis industry lies it's in doing things the right way setting an example out of necessity first, but also out of compassion. It's a compassionate industry. And if we can set the tone and give other industries something to aspire to, I think that we'll all be better off. And it's one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about the cannabis industry and why I'm doing what I do is because I see the potential for it to transform lives in so many ways. So... Yeah, it's and you're right. There I think that all of us consumers and producers, whatever the product, um whatever the industry, I think that there's a need for more consciousness in what we buy, more consciousness in in how we produce our goods, more respect, if you will. And I think that we have the potential in this industry to set that example. Well, I agree with everything you just said. Okay, Snowden, any other questions for me? (laughs) (laughs) I have tons of questions for you. (laughs) Unfortunately, our time is limited, but this has been really enlightening. And Marco, I have to say thank you so much. Um, I'm glad that we were finally able to, to do this. So I appreciate your coming on the show and sharing with us your knowledge. Any parting thoughts? Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to, to finally uh, share what Grow Life is up to and, and talk to you. And uh, next time I'm in Arizona, I'll reach out and let you know and uh, maybe we can catch up some more. Please do. Please do. So, well, thank you. Thank you again. <laughs> I appreciate the time and it's wonderful to talk to you again. Oh, it's so nice to talk with you as well. So, yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you. 
Thank you again. So once again, it's time to bring yet another show to a close. I'd like to personally thank my guest, Marco Heji, for sharing his insights and knowledge with us today. If you'd like to learn more about the work he's doing at Grow Life, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. Click podcast to find today's episode. And that's where you'll find his bio along with a link to his website. We have so many people to thank. First, I'd like to express our gratitude for our radio partners, Sunstate Technology, Canisphere Biotech, and Integrated Compliance Solutions for supporting our show, and to our media partners at the Cannabis Science Conference, London CBD Group, Cannabis Radio, and Newsbank for helping us to spread the word. I'd also like to thank my production team here at the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show for always making us shine, and our programming directors at XRQK Radio Network and Society Bites Radio for broadcasting our show. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Snowden Bishop inviting you to join me again next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Is calling. Is calling. Is when you think of chips relative to cannabis, microchips may not come to mind. Hi, I'm Terry from Sunstate Technology Group here to tell you that our chips help cannabis companies compete and succeed. From planning and expansion to hardware and daily IT support, Sunstate proudly serves the technology needs of the cannabis industry. You know that having the right technology is critical to security and smooth business operations. Partner with a technology team that understands the unique needs of this industry. For details, visit sunstatetech.com cannabis.